Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we are covering technology and what it means for a language company. We will be discussing all the popular buzzwords in our industry and try to address as many of the unknowns or gray areas as possible. To discuss this topic, I've invited Elizabeth Sklavono from RWS, and she goes by the name Elsa. Elsa is RWS's Senior Director of International Partnerships and is responsible for building and maintaining global alliances. She graduated from the French Philology School of the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki and then specialized in linguistics and translation technology at the University of Paris 8. She worked on the study of language for special purposes, or LSP as it's known, and completed several projects on specialized dictionaries and grammars for the Greek language. She conducted her doctoral research in transformational grammar applied to machine translation and machine learning. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Elsa. Thank you, Sultan, for uh, having me. Uh, I'm very pleased that you were able to make it today. So let me start by jumping to my first question. Please say a few words to introduce yourself to people listening to us today. I'm working at uh, WS as a senior director of international partnerships, and my role is uh, to build and maintain uh, global alliances between companies. Uh, how long have you been with RWS? Uh, I've been uh, one year and two months after 20 years in, uh, in uh, pure technology software editing. And uh, how did you find yourself in this industry, Elsa? What motivated you to start working in localization? From my courses in uh, university, I started with uh, linguistics and uh, very quickly, I, in a certain way, I want to apply linguistics in the, in the translation automation. And um, it's the way I also pursue my all my research and uh, my doctoral studies with uh, transformational grammar and uh, I found myself uh, in localization. Now, what it is interesting is that uh, I always primed uh, technology first because uh, it was uh, the only way to uh, maintain and reuse the knowledge that uh, the translators have uh, already produced in order to transfer the knowledge no matter what the language is. So you, you're trained for this industry um, as a profession, basically. Now, um, at the time when you were training, what was the state at that time um, compared to what it is today? In the early 90s, uh, I believe that uh, uh, translation and, uh, in fact, uh, I believe localization industry was not yet uh, formed as uh, it is now. Uh, Translation was uh, more the traditional process of uh, an individual who is... uh, requested to produce a text in uh, another language or from another language to to his or her mother tongue. So we were more in the traditional translation tasks. uh, And uh, I could even say that um, 
in the early 90s, uh, we just started talking about technical documents and technical translation. Can you tell me about your journey? Um, how have things evolved and changed from your perspective since you started working in this industry? As I told you, I started working in this industry from uh, the pure technology uh, side. All the evolution of the journey is finally conditioned by the evolution of the um, of the computers itself, themselves, the performance, the hardware, the even the characters encoding, the UTF-8, uh, the XML, uh, all those standards that... Uh, had rendered the, if you want, the industry to uh, to release products that allows to store in uh, repositories content and right. find ways to use them intelligently. And uh, how did all of this evolution happen? Obviously, it was not over, uh, overnight, but uh, one thing led to another. So in your opinion, what was the most significant evolution that happened that uh, brought our industry to where it is right now? These are uh, the possibility that we gave to translation experts to create content and uh, store it in repositories. Uh, what happened like that is uh, that uh, a whole industry was built, uh, the content was growing, the repositories too, so data were coming, were produced through translation for companies. Today, uh, as you know, we will be discussing the role of technology in the success of uh, a language company, a translation company, or even an interpreting company for that matter. Please give me a brief perspective uh, of yours on how technology became the engine for translation uh, and localization companies. I, be, I believe that uh, technology started play a big role where automation, when automation starting being uh, very important. And automation is, uh, is important uh, when uh, you, in a certain way, you enlarge uh, the vision around the content through language. And uh, in order for, uh, let's say, localization companies to be able to handle volumes of text in different domains and uh, dispatch uh, tasks in order to meet uh, the customers' deadlines, they cannot do it without technology. Now, uh, by technology, we we don't talk uh, only uh, about machine translation. We are talking about developing tools that uh, allows uh, uh, translation experts to, uh, in a certain way, establish workflows in uh, how to produce in uh, a quick, centralized, and uh, with the best quality possible translations by keeping the standards of uh, previous ones. From what I'm hearing, uh, it, it was the, the volume of content that created the necessity or the need for technology to automate and, and handle even larger volumes if a company wanted to basically be, grow. It is the volume, but also the consideration of the content by companies as an asset that create a legacy. Right. Finally, the content that a corporate uh, an enterprise is creating its uh, is uh, one part of uh, its DNA because it is uh, reflecting how they want to communicate to the market. Globalization came also, so uh, there were there was need for externalization of of official documents or communication or uh, any other type of uh, business process management that needed to be handled all over the world. So language was uh, language became an enabler 
in all that. It is a language is a business enabler. Of course, especially if if companies want to grow and and expand outside their traditional boundaries. It can be argued also that as an industry we have been slow in adopting and promoting technology. What are your thoughts? I don't believe we were we have been slow in adopting. Uh, or promoting technology, I I believe that uh, we just wanted to follow the pace of uh, what we call uh, digital transformation and uh, be sure that uh, we transform uh, our personas and uh, we develop ourselves uh, depending on this uh, shift. Uh, it's not uh, that uh, we have been slow, it's uh, there was no need to be quicker, I believe. Compared to other industries, uh, where technology has been rampant in localization and translation there has been you know all kinds of issues adopting technology and and we don't still have consistency there is fragmentation um you mentioned some standards earlier you know there some of them are still not a hundred percent accepted or in use there are different variations of those standards xlif as an example why do you see that our industry cannot come to a consensus on on technology mm, i believe it is because it is still quality centric they don't see the big picture of uh, how uh, translation experts uh, or localization experts can uh, uh, use technology for their uh, own business development so once uh, i believe that once uh, we see technology as uh, a medium to grow our business and right. have a broader content vision in that case i don't believe that uh, there will be a resistance because uh, it's part of our business to embrace technology for automation. So Elsa, what has caused that resistance in the first place towards uh, adopting technology? I believe the the quality, the the quality and the and the resistance in contributing in doing technology better also. So when you talk about quality, are you talking about the quality of output or are you talking about the quality in the process? I'm talking about the quality uh, of the output because uh, you cannot talk uh, about the quality of the process if you don't embrace technology. So if you embrace technology, then uh, you learn uh, how to adapt uh, new processes in order to establish workflows that uh, will allow you to control quality. As in every manufacturing industry, you can consider that uh, you produce content that uh, you would like to pass it through different quality assessment steps. When the volume and is uh, tremendously big, uh, you cannot do it without automation. I think that um, on that note, um, we have tried and, and failed to implement different type of uh, processes, whether it's um, you know manufacturing of goods or even trying to produce services because not all services are created equal. And in this case, because it's a creative process, um, we needed a very specialized type of a workflow to, for that to happen. And, and in your opinion, do you think that technology was able to finally solve that puzzle? Yes, and I believe that for this, you need to train people to be able to 
become uh, architects of those uh, workflows. I think automation of translation production, such as translation memory tools, were paramount in increasing productivity. Where are we now, uh, Elsa, when it comes to technology and its evolution in, in the localization industry? Uh, translation memories uh, gain uh, even more value now because uh, <laughs> in a certain way we transformed the what we called match, uh, wherever it is uh, a fuzzy match or a perfect match, we transform it to the possibility to create uh, a linguistic artificial intelligence. And then uh, automatically these uh, translation memory are, uh, those translation memories are even gaining value and uh, they give uh, the possibility to the linguist expert to create artificial intelligence. When you talk about artificial intelligence uh, created from uh, translation memories and so forth, can you elaborate on on what it is and how does that happen? In fact, uh, you have, uh, when uh, somebody creates a translation memory, it is that uh, you have uh, a perfectly aligned text of uh, perfect quality. So with uh, the machine learning uh, techniques, uh, you can uh, produce any type of uh, language model in order to learn the machine uh, to be able to reproduce what uh, you have already produced uh, through the translation memories. And this linguistic AI finally goes beyond uh, the translation itself. It is... uh, It produces language models that allows you to run any type of natural language processing like machine translation or even uh, summarization or even any type of uh, information extraction that allows you to to get better content insights. When we are talking about um, producing better content, is that producing better content for larger volumes? Because, you know, translation is a creative process and and, uh, humans can be very creative. Where do you see the advantage uh, and, and that, Elsa? In fact, uh, you have some uh, technical and uh, regulated markets where creativity is, uh, is uh, by default uh, not uh, constrained, but uh, it's not the same creativity like if you create, uh, if you produce a free tech. So there are uh, technical texts uh, where uh, you need to be very clear nor not uh, to create a misunderstanding and uh, at the same time uh, there are some uh, certification procedures that uh, allows uh, to validate the output and uh, consider it as uh, a relevant uh, text so the the quality of uh, the translation memories uh, by default in uh, some industries are of uh, gold quality and as such uh, they constitute uh, data repositories that uh, can be uh, the backbone of any type of uh, machine learning uh, techniques applied to natural language processing. It is common for uh, translation companies today to rely on translation memory tools, um, translation management systems, project management tools, and so on. Do you still see a productivity problem? I don't believe there is a productivity problem. There, it depends uh, on, uh, on the project management itself. 
that means that uh, the translation task as such, uh, there is no problem of productivity, but the project management itself might have uh, some uh, deadline constraints depending on the uh, deadlines that the customers ask for in comparison to the volume of data that need uh, to be produced. So if uh, you have the resources and uh, the augmented project managers to run uh, this kind of project, of course, you don't have any issue. The problem is that uh, if you are uh, a small uh, language service provider and uh, you would like to grow the business, definitely you need to embrace uh, technology to be able to be productive and uh, efficient from project management uh, perspective. So there are uh, platforms that allows uh, to connect businesses with people and achieve this kind of efficiency in project management translation project management. Let's talk about AI. You touched upon that earlier, in particular, the intersection between neural networks or deep learning and the natural language processing or NLP. What does this confluence represent for our industry? What type of opportunities and threats? In fact, uh, there are, uh, I don't believe uh, that uh, something, uh, a technology or uh, a scientific progress that allows uh, to achieve better results and uh, meet uh, the expectations of uh, standards and uh, regulations can be a threat. In fact, uh, what happens is that uh, it gives a broader content vision to the translation expert, to the language expert, in a way that, for instance, uh, allows him to be more creative in the workflow and not only in the translation task itself. It mm -hmm. goes beyond the translation task and enlarge uh, the content vision by having tools that allows him to prioritize uh, projects to get uh, an insight on the relevance of the task uh, that uh, he's about to drive or even uh, uh, achieve uh, ways of working that uh, renders everything more performant. Do you think that our industry has had an open mind towards uh, accepting uh, this this evolution, this new uh, offer that comes in from outside our industry. To be honest with you, almost all of it is developed by AI proponents outside our industry. Do you think we are embracing it? Uh, it is exactly the same discussion we had uh, in uh, the very first questions about uh, embracing technology. We are exactly in the right. same step, but uh, we are more um, impressed by the result. In fact, I, I believe in the beginning uh, we were uh, uh, more uh, about uh, to count uh, the number of mistakes and uh, say that uh, at the end I prefer to rewrite uh, the translation and now we spend time to try to identify errors because everything seems to be uh, very accurate. The thing is that uh, what is sure is that everybody is starting thinking about uh, uh, the business development of uh, a translation expert as a professional and not anymore the task that he's about uh, to uh, accomplish. So by saying that, automatically you do understand that uh, there is a, an automatic development of the linguist and uh, also the business uh, developer in regards to how those tools based on artificial intelligence will allow him to find under a broader content vision, workflows, interactions that uh, will uh, 
help him expand its expertise in different uh, steps of the content processing within a complete content supply chain. Machine translation can be said to have matured to the point that is in use in production settings for almost uh, a decade or maybe a little bit longer than that now. Yet still, its output scope remains narrow, uh, meaning we are still seeing, as you said earlier, relatively good output quality and, and very few domains and in a very few set of languages. Neural machine translation promised that we will see improved results given the unsupervised nature of its training. Why are we still struggling with limited scope of MT? I don't believe there is a limited scope of MT because uh, you do see that... Uh, there is uh, more and more companies that uh, they use MT as uh, a first automated output of uh, for the translation. So the thing is that uh, what it is uh, interesting with uh, this uh, <laughs> machine translation is to transform it to the to a content strategy and not uh, stick it and use it as a technology. Everything that happens since uh, we have the artificial intelligence and uh, the machine learning te- techniques. Uh, in all fields, even in uh, machine translation, is how to develop a strategy. And in our case, it is how we are going uh, to develop a content strategy. So you do understand that uh, you have uh, first a technology drive, afterwards uh, you might have a process adaptation drive, you have the development of the linguistic persona and uh, the development of the commercial persona. So that means that uh, you create uh, other type of processes that allows uh, the, uh, in a certain way, the, the linguistic expertise to interfere in different fields uh, and uh, increase the capability and scalability according to the customer needs. Is that something that we are seeing happening right now or there is a slow uh, adoption process that happens? I think that currently it's exactly what is happening. We see it in uh, in the way that even uh, different different institutes or different uh, masters in universities, uh, what are the courses that uh, uh, they propose to to future translation experts that uh, they embrace by default uh, tools and technology and uh, they get uh, a broader content vision in order to establish a content supply chain in no matter what the language uh, they want to operate. I still feel, Elsa, that uh, there is some hostility from people towards MT. Every time I see a post on LinkedIn criticizing how something has gone bad due to an MT output and how a human would have done a better job, I feel someone has missed the point. Why are we we still hesitant to accept the relevance of machine in, in our workspace. In fact, uh, there is uh, <laughs> there is always the same uh, issue about uh, what w- do we understand uh, by machine translation? Are we trying to to compare the result or are we trying to establish an automation? If you want to compare the result. Uh, we spend a lot of time in comparing the results and uh, I don't believe it is something which is, uh, it's not a question of hostility or not. It's like uh, we we set a quality contest uh, in order to, to, I don't know, to discuss about uh, about quality. The thing is uh, how translation automation through technology using machine translation is going to give uh, a relevant insight on the content in a way that afterwards the human expertise can operate efficiently on the top of it. Because finally, now, 
Machine translation is produced uh, by a human in the loop process in any case. So that means that uh, through the translation memories, uh, language experts can create uh, an artificial intelligence applied to machine translation. The hostility, it's not uh, that, I don't believe there is hostility. It's just uh, that uh, we just want uh, to talk about uh, the quality output. Whereas uh, the the real need is uh, to discuss how we can uh, adapt uh, the processes in a way that uh, we can offer more uh, degrees of human intervention. And uh, by offering uh, varying degrees of human intervention automatically through the skills uh, we do offer a true value mm-hmm. it's not anymore the translation as a text which is uh, the true value but uh, i believe it is the way we uh, intervene in the content supply chain so as uh, to to offer true value through the skills so uh, you touched upon this but let's talk about the human and the loop part of the workflow how have companies such as your own for example successfully implemented such a workflow where the value from both machines and humans is captured harmoniously, quantified and improved? It's because uh, we develop the personas. In fact, uh, a translation expert uh, now has been developed uh, to a linguistic persona that uh, is uh, is trained to, in a certain way, to high-touch content. And then uh, automatically it interacts through tools, uh, through the translation memories in order to adapt and uh, retrain uh, the uh, language model that uh, has been uh, produced. Elsa, what type of technology would a language services company need in order to implement the right type of MTPE production workflow? In fact, uh, it is uh, <laughs> it's, uh, interesting. It's not uh, what type of technology. It is uh, the technology that, first of all, it is uh, enterprise-centric right. and uh, the possibility to interact uh, with this uh, enterprise-centric under tools that uh, they offer established workflows. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. For those executives listening to you today who are not familiar about how to onboard a, a machine translation system, explain to them how it has changed from the early days of expensive and clunky system where you had you would need to train an engine on your own or pay someone to do it versus what is available today. In fact, uh, to those executives that... I'm not going to talk about machine translation alone. I'm going to talk about uh, a content supply chain that creates assets for a company in order to create their legacy. Now, a company operates in different languages in different countries. Let's uh, call them that an enterprise operates in different countries. So by creating the content, you do feel the need uh, to uh, produce it in uh, all the languages where an enterprise is operating. And uh, automatically, you know that uh, the volume of data that uh, you would like to uh, globalize in order to have uh, this multilingual reach uh, to your stakeholders or to your customers or to your peers 
all over the world need uh, to be automated by the workflows. In this chain of automation, you can uh, plug uh, the machine translation piece because uh, you would like to automate uh, the translation 24-7. And on the top of it, uh, you, you, you wish to put a quality assessment mechanism in a way that uh, a subject matter expert can intervene, review, and validate the output before being published. As uh, every type of delivery in every type of industrial supply chain that applies to the content. We don't, uh, in a certain way, we don't dissect the technologies that uh, we are going to, in a certain way, apply in a full content supply chain. We just uh, double check uh, the compatibility, the connectivity, and the possibility to reuse or use or consult the uh, human expertise, the subject matter expertise. I see. So can you elaborate on on what does it mean for uh, a language company to be involved in the content development uh, value chain, if you will? Um, Because traditionally we've been involved in producing translation, but are you talking about creating source content as well? And what type of tools are available for that? There are many. uh, First of all, the thing is that uh, we can we can start from uh, content management systems that uh, they structure content in order to be in order to be created and uh, be considered as an intelligent content. An intelligent content is the one uh, which is structured and allows to be reused uh, in any type of uh, uh, communication and uh, through any type of uh, communication channel. Now the idea is that uh, a language industry has uh, this uh, content. This a large uh, content vision that allows to apply existing or new tools in order to proceed uh, to complex deliveries in a full uh, content supply chain. So it starts uh, with the creation of the content. The creation of the content can be automatically produced in many languages, not only in one single. So we can uh, consider that uh, the language uh, expert is uh, interfering in the very beginning of the content creation that can be multilingual. So afterwards, uh, the publishing and the delivery of each content is prioritized by eventually corporate schedules. So you can start, uh, for instance, by creating um, a content in different languages and decide uh, that uh, one location can be delivered later than another one. And this uh, can be prioritized through systems, uh, through systems that allows you to have uh, a frictionless management and uh, you have the language expert in order to supervise and uh, quality assess the whole process and uh, the delivery. I was going to ask you about content generation. Is there technology that creates that or there are still humans involved in creating it? You can establish rules in order to create content and uh, those rules are established by experts. For instance, uh, you can structure and create content by using uh, metadata and uh, you can uh, classify content in a way that uh, you can easily reproduce it 
based on that metadata. Now, this content can be produced in different uh, operational languages at the same time. Uh, when you're talking about creating content, are you talking about something related to natural language generation, for example, which right now GPT-3 has done a good job of creating English specific type of content? No, I'm not referring to uh, robots that uh, they can uh, generate content. I'm uh, talking about uh, how we can structure a content that uh, can be used as uh, a knowledge backbone for a corporate customer. I'm not talking about automated process of uh, creating content, but uh, I'm talking about uh, having tools that allows experts to create a content. Ethical mm-hmm. writers or uh, enterprise communication writers, enterprise communication writers or marketing writers. Elsa, let's talk about the use of AI beyond translation. I understand that this subfield of NLP, we just talked about uh, natural language generation, but there's also natural language uh, understanding or NLU. They represent large opportunities for our industry in the speech and audio processing aspects of language. Please share your thoughts on on what can be done in addition to translation. I believe that uh, translation is uh, everything is part of uh, this AI. In fact, it depends on the use case, what you want uh, to, to, to produce and deliver. For instance, uh, you have a uh, you have an AI that uh, is going to be applied uh, to for automatic speech uh, recognition. But if we decide that this automatic speech recognition is being uh, produced in different languages, uh, we do understand that uh, exactly we we just uh, apply afterwards the machine translation within exactly the same uh, artificial intelligence-based uh, system. So we can plug uh, different uh, models in order to achieve uh, complex uh, deliveries of uh, content management or data management or asset management or information management. No matter what the source is, the thing, mm-hmm. the, the, what is very interesting is that uh, now we have tools that allows to meet uh, the expectations of any type of use case or any type of business need. And uh, the portability and the possibility to have uh, interoperability in between the different uh, models that are produced uh, with uh, machine learning techniques and uh, they produce finally an artificial intelligence applied uh, to different use cases. It is the one that uh, puts together automatic speech recognition, machine translation, and uh, natural language understanding. But it is, uh, if you want it, it is something that it's uh, really complete and uh, for reasons that uh, are eventually related to understand be <laughs> maybe related to the quality assessment that uh, we dissect them but uh, in any case uh, you you can uh, use uh, in the workflow different uh, products of uh, uh, machine learning techniques in order to meet uh, the needs of uh, a specific uh, business need and use case. And the language industry has a role to play on that. We are so focused, uh, Elsa, on automating production output that we forget we have technology bottlenecks in our uh, so many areas, uh, such as project management, vendor management, accounting, reporting, and many other business functions. Are there industry-specific or neutral solutions that, in your opinion, Uh, we should be looking at in order to improve these areas of business. In fact, uh, it is very interesting uh, the how you transform uh, 
a workflow to a service that uh, you need uh, to code and uh, you need uh, to be able in a very frictionless way to to administer it as um, as a sales management finally so there is the possibility to establish workflows in a way that uh, you start from the creation of the content and you finish by prioritizing tasks based on accounting information. For instance, what is the cost uh, for a task uh, for a given language and uh, for another uh, in a way that uh, the customer or the requester can prioritize the tasks based on uh, administered sales management. And of course, there is a reporting that uh, is automatically generated after that. What it is interesting also, it is the way that this kind of uh, that, that kind of platforms centralizes vendors, centralizes vendors that can be internal to the customer, external to the customer or neutral to the customer, coming outside uh, the platform in a way to be able to scale. The need to be able to scale up cannot be satisfied outside any type of automation and platforms. Speaking in general terms, do you think there are technology solutions available for smaller language service providers to deliver the same type of value that uh, the tier one organizations deliver to their clients? In other words, to put them in an equal footing. In fact, uh, the key word in that is uh, uh, the scale. The tools are the same. The processes are, are the same. The differentiator is how how I and if uh, a small uh, actor is uh, is ready to accept to scale, and uh, when uh, a small uh, a small language service provider decides to scale, it is uh, the moment where it starts embracing technology and automation because you understand that uh, the number one organizations they have already embraced not only their own automation but also the automation that uh, their customers have uh, internally so we need to be able to not only to understand automation and uh, create automation or adjust uh, the technology but also be agile and be able to work on our customers' automation workflow and uh, become an expert consultant on the best practices that uh, this uh, automated workflow is getting applied uh, to the content management, for instance, in order to be able not only to manage it, but also to create it, to control the creation, to manage it, and then uh, being able to deliver it in a more uh, in the more secure and uh, mm-hmm. frictionless way. What do you uh, anticipate or expect to change, both in terms of process and technology, over the next five years or so? What it will uh, change is that uh, the content creation will be multilingual, thanks to technology, and uh, the content delivery will be the quality assessment of this content creation as in every supply chain. So uh, there is uh, a paradigm shift, I believe, uh, in where we position what we call translation. The technology is there. So when we are going to position what we call translation, we're going to plug at that place that technology. So it's more uh, it's more a question of uh, being smart in our content vision it's uh, what exactly is going to change it's going to, what is going to change is our vision to be smarter 
with content. So the processes and uh, the technology will just follow. In fact, what uh, is going to change is the way we see things. Elsa, what is your message to decision makers in, in language organizations listening to you today? Is there a specific advice you would like to share with them? They need to understand that uh, <laughs> they, they, they play a more important role that they think they play because uh, they can uh, they can supervise they can uh, they can uh, they can arbitrate uh, all type of um, automated processes in order to to protect and being uh, accountable also about the result the advice is uh, to to be creative and embracing new things in uh, expanding their vision on uh, on their expertise of their expertise so it, it, it is um, i don't know it is uh, a question of uh, creativity the creativity is not only how we produce content it's also how we want uh, to uh, to contribute in uh, the best way of uh, creating it managing it and delivering it by protecting intellectual property and uh, also the ideas Well, that brings us sadly to the end of this interesting discussion. Uh, It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Elsa, and I'm pretty sure that we are leaving our listeners with a lot of value and knowledge today. I'm sure there will be a lot more questions spawned from today's discussion, and hopefully we can cover those in future episodes. With that, uh, Elsa, thank you for your time. Thank you, Sultan. Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. Elsa talked about technology enabling language to deliver better value and language being an enabler of growth and business. I think she has a point. Our role in this industry is evolving. We are used to performing one type of work, whether that was translation or transcription or anything else. But our skills can be reshaped and recalibrated to fill so many other gaps in the content supply chain now. And technology is readily accessible, allowing us to deliver better value. We didn't talk about technologies such as robotic process automation or RPA and many others, but they all bring great value to us. The technological change is triggered from outside our industry. It is our responsibility to adapt and turn this into an opportunity. Our companies are hoarders of data in the form of translation memories, and as you heard from Elsa, that will feed the data-hungry AI models, and we should find ways to adapt into becoming data pipelines quickly. Exciting times ahead. Be smart about technology. There you have it. My interview with Elsa from RWS was fun and interesting. I learned a great deal and hope you did too. Get in touch with Elsa if you have any questions or let me know if you think she should cover another topic on this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite platform. Give us a 5-star ratings or thumbs up and make sure to keep those comments and feedback coming. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.